Wonder if you may be getting taken advantage of by your financial advisor. Need some insight from someone who's been in your shoes? Well, today's guest talks about the good, the bad, and the overlooked of working with the wrong type of financial planner. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and thank you so much for joining me today for what I actually think is going to be a truly unique show. Being a fee-only financial advisor for physicians, I hear a ton of stories from clients about their past advisors. Many of you are probably walking around with post-traumatic advisor syndrome, being taken advantage of or sold products that weren't in your best interest. And while I sprinkle some of these stories throughout the podcast, it's different hearing it from me versus someone who's actually been on the other side of that story. And that's why I'm really excited to bring in Chris Mamula from the awesome blog, Can I Retire Yet? Chris opens up and tells us some of the mistakes he made when selecting his advisor apparently the wrong advisor, and drop some wisdom so you don't make the same mistakes he made throughout his financial and investing career. So let's hop right in and chat with Chris. Chris, really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you as well. I know you got some really killer stories. I was reading over at your blog, Can I Retire Yet? And I think one of the most fascinating stories you had that you were open about was talking about the negative experience of going with an advisor. And I would really love to kind of dig into that today. So everyone listening can hear your story, your journey through working with a poor advisor to now do it yourself and kind of how you came out of that and ultimately how you've retired. Let's just jump right in. Tell us a tiny bit of background on how you found this advisor and escalating up to what ended up happening. My background, I was a physical therapist up until I I left my job last December. As a healthcare professional, you know, you go to school, you're highly educated, but you really don't get any training on finance and investing. And there's just so much excessive information out there. It's it's really kind of hard to sort through. And I, like probably most professionals, think this is just too complicated. I need to outsource this. and, And it's a good use of my money and my time to let somebody else guide me through the process. And so I guess the next step was then, well, who the heck is going to be your advisor? Where do you go? Where do you turn? I had no idea where to even start again. You don't get any training on this anywhere from high school to college to a master's degree. I never had a finance class anywhere. So I talked to my parents and see who they used. And and that was pretty much the extent of my due diligence. So I figured he was good enough for them. I guess he'd be good enough for me. My parents didn't make anywhere near what I did, and they were doing okay, it seemed like. I think in retrospect now, looking back, probably more in spite of the advice they got, that was, again, like kind of the extent of my due diligence because I didn't even know what questions to ask or where to start. So with your parents, are they able to retire despite working with this advisor that we're obviously going to kind of talk uh, a high level? We're not going to bash anyone, but did they make it through and, you know, you said in spite of? I don't want to kind of give a negative impression of like what my parents did because my parents also, although I followed them down a bad path with investing, they also gave me a great foundation with the things that it took. So even though I made some pretty massive mistakes and we can dive as 
as shallow or deep into those as you want to go. But they also gave me a great foundation of living below your means, basics of what's important in life and what's important in finance. They actually retired a few years early, like in their early 60s, pretty securely, just because they were such good savers and just the mindset that they had. And they gave me that foundations. I certainly don't want to be sounding like I'm bashing my parents because they gave me a lot of positives, just that one negative. People can't see it, but you're smiling. Obviously, your parents taught you a thing or two because reading the stuff that you've been putting out is actually really, really good stuff. You're a, a fire blogger, and I know that's been picking up. If you're listening, don't know what that is. It's financial independence, retire early. And while we're not going to grill kind of the, the fire aspect in the show, if you are interested in that, a big one that we had on the show already was Physician on Fire. He's pretty big in that that field, but I really like your blog for some of the different concepts that you're bringing to that space. So definitely encourage people to to check you out there. Thanks. I appreciate that. Of course. Some of the lessons that your parents did, was it kind of open-ended conversation? Was money the topic that you were okay to discuss around the dinner table, if you will, or... Yeah. I I mean, I think my family, we were just frugal by necessity because my parents didn't have a great income. My parents were both high school educated. My dad started working as a, a newspaper photographer straight out of high school. And then he eventually started his own photography business. So they did okay. But again, never their combined income was never as great as basically where my wife and I started out of school. They did it mostly through frugality, being smart. My mom was really good at stretching a dollar. And my dad just kind of has that entrepreneurial mind. and, And he taught me that just how to treat people. Even though I never was an entrepreneur, I learned to think like one through him. So that all went a long way. Let's say now you're saying, hey, hey, mom, pops, I got some money need to figure out what I'm doing. Who do you work with? You go to this advisor. Tell me kind of how that worked. Some of the things you learned, some of the things you wish you would have asked. We'll kind of take it from there. When I went in with the advisor, I mean, I tried to kind of educate myself. And again, there's just so many sources of information. It's hard to know what's good, what's bad. But I mean, he threw around a lot of the big terms, diversification, dollar cost averaging, mutual funds, and all these things. I mean, it kind of passed the smell test. It made sense enough. And, And again, it's kind of hard when you're going into this. Like, you really have to step back and educate yourself first. I didn't know what questions to ask. I was very superficial with it and I thought I was okay. And and that's kind of as far as I took it is basic smell test and just through that recommendation of one other person. And and that's as much due diligence as I did. Mm -hmm. Now you've been working with this guy. How long did you end up working or guy or gal? I don't know. It doesn't honestly matter. What was that aha light bulb? Like, uh Oh, that really kind of set you off. So when we started working with him pretty much right after we got out of school within a year or two, and we worked with him for close to 10 years till the light bulb kind of clicked on. And really for us, I think it was, we really wanted to retire early. And and we talked about that very, on our very first meeting, he said, what's your goal? And, and I said, I'd like to probably retire early, but I had no idea. And then as we started getting more serious, I started thinking like, I'd like to retire by 40. In fairness to the advisor and, and to most advisors, I think a lot of advisors are trained as salesmen, uh, not all, but a lot. And you really have to know what is your advisor's background? What is their training? How are they paid? What are all the conflicts of interest? There, I mean, there's so many questions, again, I didn't know to ask at the time, but I do know now. But it just started to click that he wasn't guiding us in the direction we wanted to go. So I finally started reading things on my own and I started piecing things together. It wasn't until I was probably 34, 35 and we started in our mid 20s. So a good 10 years till we figured it out. Mm -hmm. So we'll look at, you know, how you get paid. I mean, that's a very basic question. It shouldn't take five minutes to disclose how you get paid, right? It's hopefully it's um, a flat fee only planner where I charge a flat fee to do something. It's not a scaling AUM type thing. And I know we've talked a little bit about it on the show already with some of that. What else do you wish you would have 
ask them or or now knowing some research and doing your own thing, they're like, oh, could have avoided this landmine if I did. Well, I, I think first off, I, I think that question of how are you paid? So our guy was actually paid on commissions by sales. I've written a couple of articles about our experience, but there's basically three basic models. There's the paid by commissions, which seems to be getting less, but that's still for a lot of people starting out, that's what you're limited to because you don't have enough assets that people even want to work with you. And then the second is assets under management, which creates its, I think it's a little bit better, but it creates its own set of conflicts. And then I, I do agree that by far the best method, if you're going to use financial advisor, that you'd want to do like a fee only that guarantees that they have less conflicts, but that doesn't guarantee that they're good. That doesn't guarantee that they're giving you great advice. You still have to do your own research and you have to be a part of the process and you can't just outsource it and think somebody else has my interests. I, I guess if I could say one thing, it would be that nobody cares about your money as much as you do. And so you have to be involved in the process no matter what route you go or if you do it yourself. I literally say that all the time. I love, I love my clients. I wish the best for them. I look out for it, but, uh, yeah, no one cares about your money more than you do and you need to pay attention. And as you're starting to research and figuring out what you should be asking advisors, you're going to be able to pass that sniff test pretty quick. If the advisor can sell insurance immediately, they're fee-based that at least red flag goes up. Hey, conflicts of interest. If they're telling you, Hey, come to this free dinner. <laughs> And you can have a, a nice steak on us and we're going to tell you about what we do. Ultimately, clients pay for that free dinner. Yeah, that, I would say that's a good free. rule of not just advisors, but life that nothing is free. So beware. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great. What was the actual like aha moment? The fire blogs were really helpful for me. The, again, financial independence, retire early blogs. A guy, J.L. Collins, he wrote what's called a stock series. And so I started working my way through that. And he talks about like the impact of fees and, and how you kind of determine them. So I just started going through some statements where the big light bulb went off is I was going through some of my statements. One of them said about a surrender value. I owned a variable annuity and I didn't even know what that was or what that meant. So I started doing research and I was like, well, what the heck? Because this has like a four or $5,000 surrender. If I would have surrendered, it said the value was less. And I didn't understand that. So I started doing my research on those. And, and that's when all these light bulbs and bells and whistles started going off and said, I need to really dive into this and, and figure things out. That's tough. That's the way you're finding out. But so, you know, now that you're DIY, did you ever figure out how much maybe this potentially could have cost you guys? When I went in and I broke down, so there's, there's so many different ways that you can pay that you don't even realize, but from commissions is how we were paying. We knew we were paying, but that's such a small portion when we actually sat down and I itemized it because of the fees that we were put in, they were, they had such high recurring expense ratios. So those are an additional fee. And then a, a substantial portion, about a quarter of our portfolio at that time was in this variable annuity, which had a whole nother layer wow. of fees, kind of the way that they had us structured different accounts had different fees. And those were seem minimal compared like 50, $75 here and there. But when you're in seven, eight, 10 different accounts, that adds up to an extra five, six, $700 a year, which is not inconsequential. And then um, on top of that though, I think you can't just look at fees. You have to look at what are you getting? Are you getting value for your fees? And the problem is the fees were actually a minor piece of this um, as, as, as much as they were, which was not. After um, all that, they're a minor piece. Uh oh, Because uh, the, the conflicts were, he was telling us like to bypass our 401k, which is just, oh. uh, so we are also paying excessive taxes. Yeah. And then probably a lot of physicians would be in this scenario and this, this is something they'll relate to, but you're in a high tax bracket. So that, that's a pretty big loss when you're paying that. But then also 
we couldn't contribute to our Roth IRA anymore. And, and he wasn't teaching us about the backdoor Roth or anything like that. He just wasn't teaching us anything. So mm. now we're missing out on Roth contributions. So now all that money, because all of our money is going into taxable investments and because it's not in tax efficient taxable investments. And again, I don't want to get too technical, but that's starting to kick off not only dividends, but short-term capital gains and long-term. So that's pushing our income even higher unnecessarily. So that's creating even more taxation. So yeah, when you add it all up, like in our last year, when you factor in the fees and the taxes, we were paying a bit over $20,000 between unnecessary fees and unnecessary taxes, which when I became a DIY investor, we were able to eliminate all that. We pay not even a, close to a fraction of that, even though our portfolio is now several times bigger than it was at that time. So yeah, between expense ratios and obviously you're not paying someone to manage the money, whether they charge the EOM or not. Were you getting any other like extra services where you're talking about your goals or life planning or were they looking at other insurances? We did talk about things, but again, everything kind of seemed very cookie cutter. Again, I wanted to retire at 40 and we were taking steps like we were saving about half of our income and we were taking the steps that would have been necessary. And I just think this is my own fault of just being so trusting and we're not your typical client. Most people there, you're probably fighting with people to save five or 10%. And we were on our own saving. We were basically living off one income and saving one from the get go. So we're not your typical client in retrospect. I didn't know at the time, but stupidity on my part to just blindly trust somebody based on one recommendation, but it's a warning for other people who I think, again, I don't think I'm atypical at all. And coming out of school, you don't have any background, you don't have any training in, in finance and in investing and, and everything seems so complicated. And you have that combination of no training plus a high income, it puts a pretty big target on your back and you're going to have plenty of people seeking you out to be a client. Uh, again, I can't emphasize enough, you have to educate yourself and you have to be your own advocate. Yeah, I wrote a, an article for a white coat investor about how physicians have a target on their back uh, with respects to insurance. That's the easiest one, right? These guys, they know you had no training coming out of medical school, residency, even college. I say it all the time, and it's not because she's over here staring at me or anything, but my wife is significantly smarter than I am, and I'm okay saying it. But when I start talking about finance with her, now she gets it. After 15 years, she better get it because that's how long we've been together. But uh -huh. in the beginning, it was like, I don't, I don't understand. What do you mean a 403B? Like, what do I do with this? How do I invest in this? It doesn't make sense. It's amazing that you go through all this training and you don't have that education. And so you have to arm yourself with the knowledge. And I really hope the podcast is doing that in its small piece or small part of that. But there's still so much more that people can be doing to make sure that they're not getting taken advantage of. White Coat Investor, what he does for physicians is incredible. That was a great resource for me. I mentioned like JL Collins and there's other fire bloggers that have been a big resource. What you're doing, what I'm trying to do now. There's a lot of good resources out there, but again, there's there's just so much information. You really kind of have to know where to start. And, mm -hmm. and that's the challenge. Just start somewhere, just start piecing things together and you're going to see what things add up and what don't. It's unfortunate that more medical and all, and all professional, it's not just medical, but more professional programs don't have an element of that education and such an important part of life. Uh, definitely. And something you said with the advisor was that it was kind of cookie cutter and you weren't their typical client. And that brings up a really good point is that your advisor should know your entire situation without you really saying a lot. They should work with, whether it's physicians or uh, attorneys or whatever your, your field is and your specialty, they should know in, in and out. Yeah, they didn't go through it, but they should know it in and out. And that might make it a little more cookie cutter in that approach. 
but it should be custom. It should be for you. It shouldn't be one size fits all. Oh, I help everyone that is an entrepreneur. Or I help everyone that is basically breathing. That doesn't work in, in, yeah, in that. Absolutely. And, and even on our blog, I mean, I'll get some criticism because I'm 41. Again, I left my physical therapy practice in December. And so we kind of put it on the header retired at 41, but I'll get yeah. criticism that I'm quote unquote, not really retired. And and I'm not trying to trick anybody. Like we're very open and apparent, but uh, like my wife still works about 30 hours a week and I do some work on the blog. It doesn't bring in much money at this point, but it may in the future. And I'm not trying to trick anybody, but everybody's situation is different. And even like going towards early retirement, it's going to look different for everybody. Some people want that traditional retirement where you're just going to live off investments. Most people, I think when you're at this age, you might start on that path. You just get burnt out on maybe a profession and you think you want retirement. And as you start to learn that that doesn't maybe seem as appealing and things change and everybody's going to be different, even within a quote unquote, like a fire movement or within physicians, everybody's going to be different. And I couldn't agree with you more strongly. You have to have your own plan that makes sense for your own situation, your fears, your desires, whatever you want to do. So you're telling me that personal finance is personal. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of in there, but uh, Get I think out a lot of people have missed that point. <laughs> uh, that's great. I love what you're doing. I think it's great. I don't think you're misleading anyone. Um, I, I've read considerable amounts of your blog before inviting you to come on, and I love your message. So now you've really taken the DIY approach. And some people are like, you know, I could do that. What does that entail? Not working to now doing it on my own. So I'd love for you to, to kind of dig into that piece. It started just, again, I had those kind of bells and whistles when I found out I had this variable annuity. And so I just started reading everything. I was reading every blog I could. I was diving into like the whole archives of White Coat Investor, all these fire blogs. I just recently reviewed four best, I thought, books for somebody that wants to be a do-it-yourself investor. Mm. But I went down like the dividend investing approach, the index investing approach, the real estate, like what do I want to do? I mean, I must have read 50 books just about investing. And I was a little bit slow. Obviously, it took me a decade to figure this out. But like <laughs> once I get on something, I kind of go the extreme in the other direction. You don't have to read everything. I do think you have to read a few books and you have to kind of educate yourself. And, and so that's the route I took. What were the four books that you could share? So if someone listening is like, yeah, this sounds good. Let's do this. Let me read the first four and see yeah, if I so the, like it. The first four resources, I'll call them a resource because the first one, when I originally wrote this a couple years ago, it was J.L. Collins. It was his stock series. It was a, It's a free resource on his blog. Okay. And he has now turned it into a book called The Simple Path for Wealth. So either of those, they're basically the same information. The blog is, it keeps getting updated. So it's kind of a living document and the book is mm -hmm. a little more organized, but either of those is great. He really simplifies things. And then on that, he's kind of basically the basic Vanguard index investing approach. So you have to read John Bogle, I think. The book mm -hmm. I like the best, now I'm blanking, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing, I believe it's called. Okay. But I like that one the best of his. I've read a few of his books. And then I kind of got into modern portfolio theory, and that's kind of where I landed. So it's an index investing approach, but it's a little bit more diversified than just holding one fund, which like those guys would typically. So I like William Bernstein. It's not one that I think a lot of people recommend. It's a little bit dense, but it's called The Intelligent Asset Allocator, I believe. Off the top of my head here again, I'm and I'll make sure I link to these in our show notes over at financialresidency.com. So as we're listening, you guys can go pop over there and, and check out the books that he's, yeah. he's referencing. Yeah. He's actually a physician, which kind of is what interested me in his writing originally. And, and it gives a lot of history of investing. I like he has a couple other books that probably people like better, but I like that one. And then my fourth one was Rick Ferry. It's called All About Asset Allocation. Just a very user-friendly. If you're only going to read one, I think that's probably the easiest. But I think the other ones give you that background to kind of apply it to that book. So that's the four. And I recommend them in that order. I think it really kind of makes sense if you follow that order. 
That's great. And a, a one book that I typically recommend for people is written by another advisor, Alan Roth. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, How a Second Grader Beat Wall Street. So super yeah. clickbait title, <laughs> but it was actually a really good light overview of the world of investing. And I think mm-hmm. he did an excellent job on it. I actually don't know Mr. Roth, but uh, would love to be his friend because I thought that was a, an excellent way to uh, introduce investing. I've not read that book, but I read his blog writing a lot and I cite him frequently in like in our roundups of like best articles. So yeah, I highly recommend him too. And there's tons of great resources. Again, it's just kind of which ones are you going to choose and which ones resonate with you. And those four in that order worked really well for me. Okay. So now we've got our financial acumen is increased. We fed our brain here some financial knowledge. And then what did you do with it? What was like the first things I'm going to assume that it was getting rid of this variable annuity, but I want kind of to hear how you go like, okay, now I've read out 50 books and go. I think the first thing that anybody that wants to take control of their own investments, you have to kind of settle on a strategy and you don't ultimately have to do just one thing, but I think you have to start with something. So whether it be for me, like I said, it was mostly index investing with a modern portfolio approach, pick and choose whatever you want to do. So that was my first thing is what do I want to do and give it a broad overview my next step was, okay, I have all these bad investments. What do you do to get out of them? And some of them are very easy. Some of them are in like a 403B and you just roll those and, and it's there's no tax consequences. They're pretty simple. But other ones were the variable annuity. Now you have to look at what are the, con- that was actually in a tax sheltered account. So there was no tax consequences, but you have surrender fees. So like you have to think what makes the most sense. And this is where I think, and I wrote recently, I think it was called Five Reasons Why You Need a Financial Advisor. But one of them is because you had an advisor. <laughs> Luckily for me, my wife is a, she's a spreadsheet junkie. She's in operations research, which is basically a math applications of looking at efficiency of, of processes. But so she made spreadsheet after spreadsheet. And we kind of looked at like, what's the optimal time to get out of this? So we had to do that. And then we had a lot of taxable investments. So then we had to look at what are the impacts of the fees if we hold them versus what are the impacts of the taxes if we sell them? And we had to come up with a strategy to start getting rid of that. So that was one part of our strategy. And then we had to look at what do we want to do going forward? So that part's pretty easy. Um, It was just, we want to max out our tax advantage saving and just automate it. So you don't think about it ever again, once you start it, because we did have such a high savings rate, what do we want to do with our taxable investments? And, And then the same thing, once we figure that out, it's pretty simple. You just automate it and keep doing it over and over. So Starting is definitely the hard part, but once you start, investing is really pretty simple. It's It doesn't have to be difficult. Unfortunately for a lot of people, if you don't start with a clean slate, getting started can definitely produce a big hurdle. And it was a lot of work on our part. We decided to do it ourselves, but I think that's where somebody to help you can help if you find the right person. You covered a lot of the investment piece. There's a lot to financial planning more than just investments. How are you guys handling some of the planning. We've talked on the show, getting financially frisky with your your spouse. We talked about money dates. We talked about open lines of communication, those kind of things. How has that changed or has it changed pre-advisor, during the advisor, post-advisor, you know, as you became more financially savvy, did conversations switch? Really wanting to kind of dig into to that piece. I think that's a key point is getting on the same page with your spouse Definitely, it's been a challenge for us. And and um, again, I kind of got into like reading 50,000 books and a great book. It, it's actually, it's kind of a cheesy book. It has a great message in it. It's, uh, it's T. Harv Ecker is the author. And I think it's called The Millionaire Mindset, something like that. And again, you might have to, you might have to fix these in your okay. show notes, but 
He talks about your financial blueprint. And my wife and I had very different backgrounds. Again, my parents, they weren't good investors, but they were otherwise, they were very good with money. My wife grew up in an environment where their family, I don't want to get too much into details of this, but like they had some struggles and she carries a lot of that with her to this day. So I'm more optimistic. She's more guarded and it's definitely something we've had to work through. And it's a challenge. I think part of the reason that she still works is she loves her job. She's got a work from home job. It's part time. So it does have a lot of great benefits, but I think a lot of it, if we're being honest, is she is still fearful to buy into this whole idea of fire because it's very unconventional. And so she still thinks differently. And so we kind of had to reconcile that and come up with our own plan that worked for us. But yeah, that's super, super key is to get on the same page with your spouse or significant other. Mm -hmm. I think one of the tougher ones I see is when one spouse wants to save and one spouse tends to spend communication becomes critical to the financial success of, of hitting goals and different things. Actually writing out goals, it sounds crazy, but when you write something out and it's almost like you're kind of committing, you're fooling your brain almost to tell you, this is legit. I wrote it down to do those things. Do you guys write down goals? My most recent blog post was our written investment plan, but I, I highly recommend everybody do that. I think that's vital to have a written plan. Probably the structure on which that, or the foundation on which that's built is, I really think why we were able to retire early and why we were able to save so much money is one challenge we didn't have is we were always on the same page. She and I were with our spending goals. And I really think you have to line up your spending with your values. And if you do that, saving is pretty easy. And, and that's one area we've been very fortunate. We've had very few fights about money. We actually had more fights as we accumulated more wealth and we were starting to think about making transitions. And I am a little bit more aggressive with wanting to pursue things now. And she's a little more conservative, but early on, yeah, we were, we were always in alignment and that made saving very easy. That is absolutely critical to be on the same page there. So at the end of the show here, we asked our experts one question. If someone listening to the show realizes that they are with an advisor that isn't a fiduciary, someone that doesn't have their best interest in mind, or they found out just, Ooh, I might be paying too much money for this advisory relationship. What should they do? probably even before you sit down with them, do your little bit of research on your own so you know what questions to ask. But I think the first question you have to ask is, how do you get paid? And actually ask them to put it in writing. What exactly am I paying in all different ways, whether it be commissions or assets under management or ask them all the different ways. And then you have to look at does how they're getting paid line up with your goals? That's just vital because there's going to be conflicts, like I said, with every method, but there's some that are far worse and some that are far better. And you have to understand that. So that would be where I'd absolutely start is knowing exactly how they get paid and how much, and then kind of looking at how that lines up with what you're trying to do. One of the things I would look at is not just how much is the client paying, but how is the advisor compensated? Because they might say, oh, this is free. But in reality, when they sell you a policy, they're getting a commission they refer you to a CPA or an estate planning attorney, things that are critical and needed, they can get a new client acquisition fee or something like that, that you technically aren't paying, but you are really paying and they are getting. So I think that is critical to understanding how they're paid and not just what you're paying them, but how they're paid. I'd like to tell a quick little story, a family friend of ours in their early 60s, they started looking and it was actually after some probing by my wife found out that they're paying their advisor about 30000 a year. And that came out to about 3% of their portfolio. They've been this with, with this advisor for a long time. He actually was one of those that knocked on the door. He was an Edward Jones guy and then went moved to Merrill. And they never took the time to actually go through their statements. When they started looking and asking the questions, 
all of a sudden the advisor starts firing back and he was using some really big terminology, bigger than diversification, telling them that basically if you moved, we've built these portfolios up over time. I've done X amount of return for you. You move this, you're going to lose all your money. You're never going to be able to retire. You're going to have to work forever. It was actually really interesting to see how that was because once you just asked, hey, what do I pay you every year? That's how this started. It was one question. What do I really pay you every year? Paragraphs and paragraphs of talking high level or like in, in details to try to confuse and to manipulate. It was horrible to see, but fascinating at the same time. It all stemmed from that one question. Excellent advice. Chris, thank you so much for being on. Let everyone know a little bit about what you're doing, what you're working on, and, and maybe the next few steps for your blogging journey. My primary project is caniretireyet.com. Like I said, I just left my job in my early 40s. The person who originally started the blog was named Darrow Kirkpatrick, and he retired at 50, and he's been writing it for like five or six years. So we give the perspective of, it's kind of two different perspectives. His is more of if you're looking for a more traditional retirement, but still early. Mine is kind of that more extreme retirement. And so it's kind of a lot of it's more lifestyle design. So we have two different perspectives of two people that have already taken the leap and are living it. So I think that's where we can add value to the conversation and to people. Great. And where can they find you uh, on social? I'm not very good on social, but I am on Twitter and I'm pretty responsive. I'm trying to get better with that at can I retire underscore yet. Perfect. Well, I encourage everyone listening. If you are at all interested in what FIRE is, the FIRE movement, this financial independence, retire early, or just the financial independence piece, or just the retire early piece, I really encourage you guys to look at Chris's stuff. Some really great articles, comes with a new, fresh perspective. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Honored to have you here. Thanks for having me. And thanks for what you're doing for all professionals, and particularly, like I said, for the medical professionals, because we just, we aren't educated in this, and, and this is a badly needed service. So appreciate what you're doing. Today, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on diversify.com, D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I.com, titled The Money Mind Meld. In it, the author, Doc G, discusses his relationship with money and how it's changed since he hit financial independence. I found this article fascinating, honestly, a, a hidden gem, and I'm really excited for each of you to, to actually read it. Doc G talks about the emotional awakening that he had when he realized that he was financially independent, how what he calls the money mind meld had actually caused him to experience a full blown depression after figuring out that he was financially independent, diving into the thoughts, concerns, and fears about money and how they play a larger role in our lives, how being so focused on budgeting and frugal life hacks and spreadsheets and tracking investments and side hustles, all these things to keep us engaged along the way. Once you hit that magic number, now what? What's the larger purpose? And I quote, We derive a sense of identity from our goals and aspirations. For some, this is innately tied to the W-2 hustle. My profession as a physician is deeply ingrained into my being. For those not so enamored by the 9-to-5, often striving toward financial independence because part of that identity. Often new connections and friendships, whether in real life or online, are formed on the basis of this striving. Financial independence can shatter both of those identities. What I really like about this article is it addresses a topic that almost no one talks about. And the part that hit home to me, and I quote, What happens when you're finally done talking about side hustles, frugality, investments, and look around to see that there's no one 
to discuss the other joys of life with. I know I don't want to be that person, and I'm sure all of you don't as well. And it's great that we're all a part of this community, but this article really hammers home that it needs to be more than just an online connection. I've had the pleasure of meeting some of you at conferences and other events, and I hope that I'll be able to organize some type of meetup to build this stronger sense of community. Shoot me a message, post it in our Facebook group, and you know, let me know if you might be interested. If you aren't in the group, join us at financialresidency.com community. And just remember, money is a tool to help fulfill your ideal life. Don't lose sight of your real goals and dreams. Doc G, thanks for an excellent article. I'm going to make sure I link this in the show notes at financialresidency.com. Hey, you made it through the episode with Chris Mamula. He's generally a nice guy and super knowledgeable about the financial planning process because as we learned about him, he's read a ton of books and took it upon himself to inform himself, get money wise and act on it. In the past, he clearly made some wrong investment choices, but that was based on the advice of an advisor who really didn't put Chris's needs in front of their own. As a result, he's paid loads of taxes, footed the bill on high advisor fees, missed out on opportunities, and just didn't invest his money where it made the most sense overall. The positive, though, is that he, as the young say, got wise. Having lived a personal financial nightmare with a poor advisor, Chris was put into a position to build his financial armor, and now he helps others strengthen theirs. He blogs for the popular site Can I Retire Yet, where he shares crazy stories, interesting stories about his financial journey and the path to early retirement. You're going to have to check it out and follow him if you haven't already. Also in this episode with Chris, we talked about the importance of communicating with your spouse. Surprise, surprise, about money. Being financially frisky, I, I really should coin that term, trademark it or something, keeps the money going and brings you both together, stronger than ever, to pursue a life you both dream about on the daily. As your host of the Financial Residency Podcast, I'm not an attorney, a psychic, nor do I play one on TV. I'm glad you came here to learn and get excited about your finances. There's no purchase necessary to win, but you do need to know that your money decisions should be talked through with someone knowledgeable about your specific situation. That person isn't me unless you're already a client, then that's a different story. So consult an attorney, CPA, or heck me, a fee-only financial planner to help get you on your feet the right way. Next week, we have back on the White Coat Investor to answer some listener questions. Have a great rest of your week. Until next time. Cheers. Thank you.